welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty, along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking about the three pre's in soybeans. What does that exactly mean, and what does it not mean? Because there is a little bit of confusion. It sounds simple, but uh, we're going to explain what's really going on there. We'll also be taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us to radio at agphd.com. And Brian, uh, to kick things off here, as we talk about the three pre's in soybeans, I would say this, it's three effective modes of action on soybeans. And we've seen a, a good effort by the industry to put multiple modes of action together in premixes to try to make it easy for farmers. Unfortunately, some of those premixes have got modes of action that really aren't effective on the weeds that we're targeting, like pigweed, for example. Right. And I understand why certain companies are doing this because they may not have three effective modes of action that they sell. And three effective modes of action means something different to me than it may to somebody else. So what we're talking about specifically is, like in our case, water hemp and kochia are two worst weeds. So we want something that is effective on those two weeds. Now, in this is why I say it could be different for you if you don't have any water hemp or palmer pigweed or just pigweeds in general. If you don't have any and you don't have any kochia, well, then your top two weeds are obviously something different than mine. So this could mean something different for you. But I would say when we survey farmers and agronomists throughout the the Midwestern United States anyway and all the way up into southern Canada, these two weeds are very predominant and they are on most people's lists of hey what are what are your top two weeds and it's going to be one or one of these or maybe both so anyway what we talk about all the time for the three pre's and what we mean by the three pre's when we say specifically three pre's it's using metribuzin it's using a ppo either valor or authority and then it's using a yellow trifluralin in conventional till or prowl in no-till or strip-till. Well, the reason why we pick those three modes of action is because they are all effective on not only water hemp and palmer pigweed, but kochia, lamb's quarters, and a number of other weeds that we have on our farm and that are very common in the Midwestern United States. So we just say, hey, these are the three effective modes of action that we're after on a lot of these Roundup resistant weeds and other broadleaf weeds. So when we talk about the three pre's, again, it could mean a little something different for you when you think about effective modes of action, what kills the weeds on my farm. But the three pre's specifically we talk about all the time here on the show is, again, metribuzin, a PPO, either Valor or Authority, and then one of the yellows. With each of those, you can't use them post-emerge in soybeans. And in soybeans, that's where we have, I'd say, more weed, more broadleaf weed problems than we do in a lot of other crops, especially more broadleaf problems than we do in corn or in wheat. We just don't have as many good options post-emerge. That's part of why, if you think about the crop, think in, in the whole world, what crop do you most associate with with what they call GMO traits? It's either going to be corn or beans. And for me, it's beans with all the different traits that there are in soybeans and list and extend flex and a number of things. Well, 
the reason why they had to come with all these herbicide tolerant traits is because we just, if you go back to the conventional soybean days or right now, if you want to plant conventional soybeans on your farm, which by the way, we're going to plant some on our farm next year. Uh, we're doing this for seed production. Well, you have almost nothing. There, We have the exact same options that we did 25 years ago. So sure, you've got Cobra and Blazer, which is now Ultra Blazer. You've got First Rate. You've got Pursuit or Raptor. Um, I mean, it's just, it's not a lot of good choices. And the weeds have to be small. So this is why we would really encourage you, start with a fantastic pre-emerge herbicide program and then you got most of the weeds taken care of. But anyway, when you can't use a yellow post, can't use Metribuzin post, can't use Valor Authority post, you, I, I mean, not only do we want you to use them pre, but part of the reason we want you to use them pre is you lose all those. And in some cases, you lose the entire mode of action. There is no uh, triazine chemistry that you can use post-emerge. There is no yellow, not, none, nothing in that chemistry that you can use post-emerge. So you've lost two of the chemistries. And even the PPOs, I mean, sure, you can use post-emerge PPOs like Flexstar, Cadet, Resource, but they're not even close to the products that Valor and Authority are. So get them out there pre and you're in a lot better shape. So we'll talk about these three pre's and soybeans throughout the show. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's the Mailbag! All right. Well, the first one is kind of about the three pre's. This one comes from Larry, and he's down in southwest Arkansas. He said, uh, we get six to eight inches of rain in March and April, and we're usually burning down in early March. We row irrigate via pulling beds. My question is, could we put out the three pre's before pulling the beds and maintain their effectiveness with six to eight inches of rain during planting until we could get emergence for a post-emerge treatment. Let's 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 go back on this. Okay, so when, how early do they want to put this out? They want to burn down in early March, knowing that the next two months they're going to and, get six to eight inches of rain. Well, wait. So why wouldn't you plant then? If you're going to burn down then, so, which tells me that plants can grow then, why would you not plant then? If it was me, I'd plant then. But yeah, I also don't nervous, know the first crop. They're nervous state. about frost. And I, I know some other guys that have planted uh, not too far away from you, probably if you're in southwest Arkansas, and they've they've sure gotten away with it. I mean, okay. It'd be something so, to try. Okay, so here's the point. So basically the question is how long do the three pre's last? No, Metribuzin's not going to last two months. And you're going to lose a, a lot of the residual that there is in any pre-emerge herbicide if you're not doing it right at planting time. So our advice is burn down with something else and then use the three pre's right before planting. So if you want to use the three pre's then, you can. It's just, number one, I'd bump the rates. And number two, you got to understand there's going to be a different degree that's lost every year depending on your rainfall and weed growth. Stay tuned. We'll talk about weed control and soybeans coming up next. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. It changes everything. 
So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Get the most out of every acre of your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February with seven full days of events on the docket, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information that we can't wait to share. And best of all, these events are free. Register today at agphd.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about the three pre's in soybeans. Ah, oh, those pre-emerge herbicides, so important. If we can kill weeds before they get out of the ground, I love it. That's a, a great way to get things started. We've got Todd Cogdell on with us right now with FMC to talk a little more about this. Todd, how you doing? Great. How are you guys today? You know, we are doing quite well, and we were talking just a little bit ago about some of the different premixes that are out there on the market. Didn't really go into details about different ones, but uh, it's been kind of fun watching what you're doing at FMC, always coming up with new combos and, and different uh, authority-based products out there to try and get multiple effective modes of action. Talk to us about which ones you're, you're looking at now and, and anything else you want to uh, as we talk about pre-emerge herbicides here. Yeah, you know, I'd say right now, with our, you know, newer authority uh, brand herbicides, we're, we're looking strongly at uh, Authority Edge and, and Authority Supreme being, you know, kind of our two lead products right now in the, in the soybean pre-market. When we think about those products, and, and here's one of the first questions I get, Todd, if, if a guy says, well, I'm in no-till or I'm in conventional till, um, we just had a question, hey, I want to get these out ahead of time plant before planting, and Brian said maybe in your case you might wait till right around the time you're planting. What, these products are pretty flexible, Todd. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, so – they are obviously flexible, flexible products, and, and the great thing about both of those products is they have um, two modes of action in, in a group 14 in, in sulfentrazone and a group 15 in pyroxysulfone, and both of those uh, within their two herbicide uh, groups are, are the longest-lasting um, uh, residual products in both of those, those two chemistries. So, you know, they're, they're flexible in that. You know, you can go ahead and put them down at planting. You can put them down uh, earlier than planting if, if that's the situation that you're in and know that, you know, they have a very long soil half-life on both of those 
um, active ingredients that, that they're going to be there, you know, for a fair amount of time to set you up for a, a very solid pre-emergence program. You know, when you think about that that time window there, it definitely buys you time before you have to be back post-emerge. But I don't want to wait too long because I like coming back and layering up those residuals. I know you've got an excellent product that, that can be used in that market too. Uh, do you want to talk about how you would use that? Yeah, so overlapping residuals is, is a very important part of, of the soybean production system. Obviously, getting out there early in the season um, and putting down that strong um, soil residual and then coming back, you know, before the weeds are, are you know, getting out of control. So I, I really like to target that, you know, 21 days after soybean emergence and come back out there with our strong residual product of, of Anthem Max. It's, an, it's another opportunity to get in there, recharge that residual, uh, and get you to uh, canopy. You know, that, that's the time that, you know, the goal that everyone wants to get to is to keep your, your field clean all the way, you know, to harvest and, and for sure get us to crop canopy. Yeah, that is such a big deal when we get the crop to, to shade out things and, and hold those weeds down naturally. Uh, I, I like that very, very much. And as as we're talking about these pre-emerge herbicides, uh, again, we're talking with Todd Cogdill with FMC. Uh, Todd, any big tips that you've got for growers as they're, they're spraying those products out there? Uh, is uh, I guess what are some of the, the things you're going to have to think about? You know, to me, I think, you know, this is the time of season right now as growers are kind of finishing up their, their fall tillage and, and fertilizer season to, to take that opportunity now when things are slowing down at home to evaluate, you know, how was their weed control this season? Were, were there any gaps and adjustments that you'd need to make? You know, did you use a, a product that maybe didn't provide that long lasting residual that, that we would like to see out of, out of our products? And is that an opportunity for you to to, to take a look at, at your management system and, and put down something that has a little bit longer lasting residual and, and you know, fill in some of those, those gaps that you may have had in, in your production system. There's a lot to think about, and, and you get another shot to do this uh, coming up next spring as you're putting in that crop, and that's why we're talking about these pre's now so you can start planning ahead. Uh, Todd, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. All right. Thank you. Got Trevor Israel with us right now, and he's with Valent. Uh, Trevor, Todd brought up a lot of good points there about, about getting those herbicides down. I know we, we get a lot of questions, though, as we think about products like Valor and Fierce and the burndown capabilities that they've got, uh, mixing them in with the burndown, doing uh, different passes depending on where we're at in the country. Uh, what are some of your favorite ways to, to use those pre's and get them out there to be effective? All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot, Darren. Um, yeah, that's certainly um, uh, a way to incorporate that. You do will have some uh, burn down from from the valor, the flumioxazin. That's a group 14, so it does have some burn down uh, capability. It's used in desiccation as well. Uh, Fierce MTZ, the metribuzin, has some burn down uh, capability as well. Uh, Proxisulfone, not so much, but uh, either way, especially in no-till situations. Um, you know, you may have some uh, strong weeds out there, some perennial weeds, and that's when you might want to think, mix, uh, make sure you have in some glyphosate or 2,4-D uh, or dicamba uh, to get some of those uh, tougher-to-control uh, perennials or um, winter uh, annual weeds that may have already bolted. So that's uh, one thing you want to keep in mind. Those uh, 
are especially tough to control in the spring and, and getting out uh, ahead of crop ahead of planting uh, is definitely a good idea and they're all uh, very flexible uh, to be tank mixed with some of those common burn down partners um, other than that uh, you know with you can go out to three days after planting um, uh, that's uh, what our label states and that's uh, for, for crop safety you don't want uh, any chance of those soybeans cracking through the soil or uh, any of that uh, hypocotyl uh, being exposed you want to keep the uh, keep that three-day window so from early burn down out to that three-day window um, afterwards, uh, after planting, is, is the ideal time to get these uh, pre's out. Yeah, it sure is. We we like to get stuff out there, get a little moisture on it, get these things working 100%. And uh, they do such a good job on small-seeded broadleaves and with a lot of these combos, we can do a pretty good job on the grasses as well. Uh, thinking about some of the tough broadleaf weeds that are out there in soybeans, it's not getting any easier, Trevor. The, these weeds continue to develop resistance to different chemistries. And to me, that's why we've got to use multiple effective modes of action. Uh, that's exactly right. Um, uh, it sure seems like uh, every time you turn around, uh, another tough weed has uh, been documented to have uh, some resistance to a new class of chemistry or uh, a new population has been confirmed in a, in a different state. It just seems like it's uh, um, tough to uh, tough to keep track of everything. But again, the best uh, um, solution to that as far as uh, you know, in the, in the uh, herbicide world is to uh, mix your modes of action, uh, mix your timing, and certainly, along with everything else, uh, crop rotation, and um, and that way you can use uh, different herbicides and different uh, cropping systems. And of course, never uh, you know, sometimes you have to <laughs> bring out some iron as well to uh, keep the weeds from going to seed. Uh, certainly, you know, if, if uh, something has escaped. Uh, like that, and you want to prevent it from uh, being added back into the seed bank and continuing on those uh, genetics. So, um, definitely mixing modes of action and, and timing and keeping. Uh, you had mentioned the residual overlapping residual. Uh, the easiest weed to control is one that never comes out of the ground, and a lot of the residual herbicides are um, uh, still maintain their uh, efficacy. Um, uh, so overlapping with an in-season residual, uh, a group 15, uh, we have uh, Perpetuo, that's a peroxisulfone, and and Flumachloract that can be uh, applied uh, uh, in crop as you know to add another residual to keep the weeds from uh, from germinating in the crop, and you know risking uh, having a, a glyphosate failure uh, from in crop. Um, certainly don't want to. Uh, come up against that in the middle of the in the middle of the season so uh, uh overlapping these residuals on top of a, a good strong pre and using a full rates of a pre-emergent herbicide is a, a, a good start to uh, keep these weeds at bay absolutely uh we've been talking here with trevor israel with valent trevor thank you so much really appreciate having you on all right thanks so much take care you bet talking about the three pre's in soybeans wiping out those tough broadleaf weeds. We'll be right back after this. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. 
It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. CNB, your local John Deere dealer, is here to help you get in the field and keep you going all season long. Turn to CNB for all your equipment needs. Stop into your local CNB or visit DeerEquipment.com. Did you know 20% of stored corn is often overventilated by three points of moisture? On 100,000 bushels, that's a whole semi-load. Stop this problem for less with the end zone for corn from Farm Shop MFG, specially priced at $1,800 per unit while supplies last. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 10th and 11th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the two most important days you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. You put everything you've got into securing the next generation of your farm. So why not take it a step further? Commodity Classic is America's largest farmer-led, farmer-focused, educational, and agricultural experience, where you'll find thought-provoking education, a huge trade show with the latest ag technology, and networking with thousands of farmers who are preparing for the next generation just like you. Join us in Orlando March 9th through 11th, 2023. Learn more at commodityclassic.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today, talking about weed control in soybeans. And a lot of these active ingredients, of course, will get used in multiple crops out there. So pay attention as we're talking about these because you may be able to incorporate them into your program, even if you're not a soybean farmer today. Uh, one comment, too, at the end of our last guest, he just made a comment about the seed bank. And if you've had trouble with weeds in the past uh, and they went to seed on and you've got a bunch of seed out there, uh, don't lose hope. It doesn't mean you're forever going to have weeds, but you are going to be fighting them for a little while, uh, probably with pigweeds here, at least for the next few years. So you want to do a really good job no matter which crop you're putting out there. So don't think, well, I can clean it up in the beans. No, cleaning it up in one of your rotational crops is, is a great way to go, and it'll make your whole life a whole lot easier on the soybean side. All right, that back into the phone lines here. Got Mark Store on with us right now with BASF. Mark, thanks for joining us. Hey, good afternoon. How's it going? Well, pretty good. You know, we're talking about pre-emerge herbicides and soybeans, and 
Pigweeds have been around for a long time, but back in the 80s and 90s, we didn't have so many pigweed problems out there, Mark. We were pulling cocklebur and sunflower and those types of weeds, velvet leaf. But pigweed, man, we, we just weren't struggling so much with them. Uh, what's so different today? Well, we obviously saw a race shift as uh, we incorporated a lot of different herbicides that maybe we weren't used to using uh, as the uh, uh, you know new products became available. They were uh, limited with their uh, modes of action, and unfortunately, uh, the uh, pigweed uh, group of uh, plants uh, took advantage of us and uh, became uh, uh, a real problem to control because of resistance. That doesn't mean that we can't control them. We have excellent herbicides available. We also kind of got away from the pre's back uh, years ago as well. Uh, you'll remember when the uh, advent of the Roundup Ready soybean came out, we were basically, you know, relying on weed control with one product. And uh, that uh, put us at a, a severe disadvantage as well. So a lot of reasons to, that we got where we're at. But uh, as you mentioned uh, in your uh, intros, uh, there are some ways to combat these weeds. Yeah, and you mentioned we, we kind of relied on one mode of action a lot, but the same is true today. There's some guys that say, well, I'm just going to use one thing out there. It's been working pretty good. Uh, I would just caution everybody, it's awesome that it's working, but it's not going to work forever because uh, nature will adapt. So that's why we're talking about using multiple pre's, and in this case, we, we like to talk about three pre's, and I, I hear from so many of our listeners, Mark, that in this area of the country or that area of the country, there's resistance to this chemistry or multiple resistance with uh, whatever they're fighting, uh, pigweed in, in many cases. But uh, that's why we like to get lots of different modes of action out there. So talk to us about a good strategy. Well, we would recommend that you a pro, which is uh, multiple mode of action. You're getting uh, uh, the group 15, uh, the group uh, 14 uh, as, a, as a burn down and it's uh, offering excellent uh, residual activity. So we get the, uh, the ad advantage of the burn down as well as the long-term residual. And uh, the situation is such that it's probably the longest lasting residual out there uh, for the, you know, the pigweed species. So it really gives us a leg up over uh, other products on the marketplace. But if you're using it as a burn down, for example, it's much, much quicker than 2,4-D, the, the group 14 that, that comes into play there. Uh, the group 2 uh, gives us a residual on uh, multiple other uh, uh, broadleaf species that are in the field. So basically for pigweed, we're getting excellent activity with a couple modes of action and laying the slate for uh, a good residual or a good post-emerge product, like whether that be an E3 soybean and using the Enlist 1 system Certainly Liberty fits into that uh, game as well because of its flexibility for a variety of trait platforms. Uh, and all those modes of action are effective in controlling uh, the pigweed species. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the length of control out of those pre's, and I sure love that window of time where we're in great shape, there's no weeds coming, and we got a little bit of flexibility about when we get back in there. What do you normally recommend to growers? I, I, I like thinking about it as, okay, you, you put on your pre, you got your beans planted, you probably got three weeks, maybe four, before you got to be back. Do you like to try and time that on the early side with that next application of a residual, or, or what, do you, what are you looking for out there? 
yeah, I think for the Northern Corn Belt, uh, that three-week to four-week period is a good uh, uh, yardstick to go by because essentially what you're seeing then is the, you know, assuming crops are starting to take off like they normally do, you got to keep remember, keep in mind beans are slow growing, right? So it takes a while to get us uh, to that, uh, that soybean canopy. So that's where that next layered residual comes in. Uh, where we're getting, as you mentioned, good weed control out of that pre, uh, but then it starts to degrade over time and break down. So we're worried about, you know, that uh, opening, I guess, in the window for the weed to emerge. So uh, I would err on the early side. You know, certainly you can do some scouting and see what weeds are up from the standpoint of the post product. Uh, You know, we want to be controlling weeds in the right target window, but don't uh, don't put it off too late because you may lose that residual uh, and, and then that post product may or may not be effective in controlling that uh, pigweed or whatever weed when it emerges. So it's kind of, you know, it takes management and uh, every year is different, but uh, I think those are some good rules to think about. Uh, look at that three to work, uh, three to four week uh, period before you make that post application and add more residual to that. In the case of soybeans, we would recommend a group 15 like residual uh, or outlook. Yeah, it just it's just one of those things you just can't get behind the eight ball on weed control. If you've already got weeds coming, they get some size to them. It gets really difficult no matter which program. And you, you mentioned a number of them there, Mark, a number of effective post-emerge options too. But, but every one of them will tell you sh- smaller weeds, smaller weeds. <laughs> so we want to do a great job with these pre's. That's why we're talking about that today. Now, I've been talking with Mark Storr here with BASF. Mark, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Anytime. Good. Uh, I would look forward to it. Thanks. You bet. Uh, Brian, we had a number of questions uh, coming in here. Some of them related to three pre, some of them uh, on, on random questions too. I got this one from Andres who said, uh, guys, you doing any other countries now with your Ag PhD soils app or other apps? Well, thanks for the for the interest, Andres. Uh, yeah, we, we do have apps that are available in other countries like our fertilizer removal app and so forth as, uh, in the metric system and also in the English standard system. But uh, our soil Soils app, no. Uh, Soil sampling app, no. We don't have that at this time. So, uh, but you know, the big thing that we're trying to do is is go to GPS coordinates in the field and mark where those spots are at in each field, so we can go back and spread fertilizer accordingly and vary our rates as we go, and also so we get repeatability out of those samples. So even if you aren't doing variable rate application or anything like that, uh, at least you can go back to that same spot and see, okay, am I moving forward here with what I'm doing or am I falling behind? Hey, thanks for the question. We appreciate that. I got this one from Chris. He said, guys, uh, where are you sending your soil samples to now? Uh, We've done some changes uh, moving uh, from certain sampling methods over to Malik 3. And Chris, we are still sending ours to Midwest Labs down in Omaha. You can find them at MidwestLabs.com. Uh, I get this one from Eugene. I uh, said you guys are talking about 
soybean seed treatments on one of your shows? Do most ag retailers handle those or where do you get seed treated? You know, this is interesting, Eugene, because uh, when we were growing up, I don't think hardly any soybeans were ever treated. And now farmers are pushing those planting dates earlier. We're seeing less tillage, which uh, just makes an environment that you're going to see more insects and more disease potentially out there in the field. Uh, So there are a, a huge percentage of farmers now putting treatments on soybeans. So talk to your seed provider, talk to your ag chem retailers. Uh, Chances are one of the two in your area would be doing seed treatment. We're talking about the three pre's in soybeans on our show today, using three effective modes of action on the target weed that you're going after. So you got to find out what your target weed is. In many cases in soybeans, it's kochia or it's pigweed or lamb squarters, those types of small seeded broadleaves. If so, uh, we're going to hit it right on the head here with many of the three pre's that we're talking about today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, claiming to improve soil health and plant development. There's a lot to sort through. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Thursday, January 12th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Get the most out of every acre of your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February with seven full days of events on the docket, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information that we can't wait to share. And best of all, these events are free. Register today at agphd.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at soilwarrior.com. 
Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plug nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, installation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today. Been talking about three pre's in soybeans, but we are also answering your calls and questions. We'll get back to the Ag PhD mailbag just shortly here, but right now we got Clint calling in from down in Kentucky with a sodic soil issue. Clint, how you doing today? I'm just fine. How are y'all? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good other than I've got your soil tests in front of me and I can understand why you're concerned here. Yeah, um, just to give you a little background, this sure. particular spot in this field was tiled uh, seven years ago, so we've got it draining now. Okay. Um, and if you looked at the other email I sent you, I sent you a couple of pictures, yep. and got them. The sample one is right from the in the center of that area where where it really it won't even grow pigweed. It's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's only about the size of a couple of pickup trucks, you know. And then the second soil sample is the the area that's right next to it, right there. And you can tell it grows some beans, but they didn't look real good back when it was really hot. And then the other, the third soil sample is not 60 feet from there where the beans were fine. So it yeah. changes drastically in a really short time. So I was wondering what I could do to fix that spot, but also not uh, injure the other spots beside it that look pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Fortunately, it is a, a spot, an area. Like how big in total, in terms of acres, do you figure it is not? You said just the, the the worst spot is just a couple pickup loads, but or I mean equivalent. But the the second worst spot, I mean, do you figure it's five acres or three acres? No, or? no, no. It's probably just a. There's, there's a couple of spots that look like that in this. We tiled about three or four, maybe five acres right here in this spot where it wouldn't drain. It was yep. just uh, saturated with water all the time. Yep. And we tiled it seven years ago, but we're left with that right there. So it's probably only a couple, three acres that okay, not growing real good crops. Yeah, good. So for our listening audience here, I will tell you his worst spot, it's 35% sodium. The second to worst spot, or basically the outer fringe of that worst area, is... 22 percent sodium and, and and then the rest of it is two and a half percent and clint sent some pictures and it's just uh, to his point it's just this little white spot out in the field and we see this all over yep. we see this all over clint you're, you're yep. clearly not the only farmer that's got yeah. this well lots yeah, of this I, I was really thinking that once we tiled it maybe it would kind of heal itself but uh, it's just it's going to need a little bit of help i think <laughs> uh yeah probably now i i would of course ask you do you think is the tile working well i i mean did you put a yeah. bunch of tile in that area okay uh, uh yeah it's probably spaced about 30 to 40 feet there i don't remember for sure yeah. but uh it's fine now it's dry i mean it's it's just a dry spot in this whole field now sure okay so here here's the next thing a lot of times in the northern united states when we see these sodic areas the cation exchange capacity might be 30 or 40. in your worst spot the cation exchange capacity is 19 or 20 it's 20 and in the fringe area around that, it's 14. And then the rest of the field, if this is representative of that, is 10. So, That's I, about right. yep. And so that does also kind of play along with this like, hey, that was where we had the drainage problem because it was the heaviest soil. So it makes sense. 
So how do you correct the 35? Let me let me start with this first. For everybody listening, this is why we encourage you to soil test on a regular basis. Always get the sodium test on there. Some people don't, but we like seeing that because if let's say you're at like it, two or five or maybe even 10, you got to catch it then because when it does get to this point, it's hard. And, you know, Clint, I'll bet you, you have seen a little bit of improvement there, but it was so, it was so intense that it's just, it's going to take a long time because for us to get that 35 way down, oh, it's, it's going to take some work. So, so here's what we usually would suggest. Number one, take care of the drainage, which you you did in terms of the tiling. But the next thing is to take a look at your calcium level. So you have a fair amount of calcium out there. It's 3,000 parts per million for our listeners. So it's certainly not bad. And that's where it's like, you know, I'm I, pretty sure I, that's pounds per acre. Oh, that's pounds per acre? Uh, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So three, sorry, 3,000 pounds per acre. The sodium in the worst spot is also 3,000 pounds per acre. In the, the next area, it's 1,400 pounds and everywhere else, it's 100. So that's, I mean, so it's 32 times greater than it is in, in the rest of the areas. So yeah, it just, it's yeah. going to take a little time. So what we generally would suggest is getting some sulfur out there to flush things out. So a lot of people in these sodic areas, they will use either elemental sulfur or they'll use uh, gypsum. So gypsum is calcium and sulfate. So basically you're trying to replace the sodium with more calcium. So you could certainly do that too, but you somehow have to turn that sodium into a salt. Once we turn it into a salt, it's leachable. Sodium on its own though, it's not going to leach out very well. So that's why we got to change the form. And typically people will change that form by combining it with sulfur. Okay. How much do you think it would take? How much to get started on it? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Okay. So like in my area, gypsum is fairly available. So if it was me, my first thought is I'm either going to go out there with, well, I'd, I'd probably use gypsum and I'd probably start with a ton or two to the acre. And Again, it's not in a big area, so I'm going to be real careful about how I'm doing this, not to get it everywhere else where I don't really need it because then it's kind of wasted money, but just put it in that small area. So, you know, grand total in terms of expense, it's not like it's that horrible because we're only talking three acres maybe. So that's probably what I would do is get, you know, a ton or two of gypsum out there right away. Now, another thing some guys have tried is they'll literally in these very bad sodic areas, they'll take a bale of straw or a bale of hay and shred that right in the bad area and till that in. Because sometimes you can't even till the ground is so, so hard when you're at 35% sodium. If you can, though, that does seem to help the porosity and and get getting getting stuff to start flowing through there. Um, you already have a fair amount of calcium, but I don't mind getting more calcium out there. That's certainly not going to hurt anything because your calcium percentage is quite low at the moment. It's thirty eight percent. So we we are if trying I get the sodium down. It'll it'll shift yes. the calcium up too, correct? Yes. Yep. Yep. So so no. Nope, I... Magnesium is really high in that area too. It is. Which kind of makes sense, though, because it's also heavy soil. So anyway, yeah, that that's probably the direction that I would go is I would use a bunch of gypsum. I'd take some, you know, like like I say, straw or hay or something, at least in the worst area, shred that up, try to work that in, till that in. And uh, other than that, I would say 
okay, like especially this fringe area where we say, all right, it's not horrible and we can still raise a crop there. I would be taking a look at every single nutrient and trying to make sure I'm not low or deficient on anything. Like phosphorus, for example, you got 107 pounds. That's certainly not bad, but I, I would just say we don't want to be shorting that phosphorus. Same thing with potassium. Our potassium is actually a little low. So we want to be yeah. putting some potassium out, some zinc, some boron, all these other things. So we're taking away any excuse for that plant to do poor other than the one thing that's sodium. And the more that the plant grows, I mean, the, the quicker this is going to fix itself, too. So we had areas like this on our farm as well, but they weren't this high for the sodium. And we got the tile out there. We started doing things like gypsum and adjusting all the nutrients. And after, I, I mean, even the first year, we got some gain. But every year, you could just see it keep getting better and better and better. And 10, 15 years out, it's like, oh, wow, it's, it's completely gone. I would have never known it's even there. Okay. What about elemental sulfur? Because we don't really use gypsum around here. I don't even know where to get it at. Yep. Yeah. How much, how much of that would you think to use it in that record? <laughs> um, if it's okay, if it's me, I'm probably going to start at a thousand pounds, and I might even go a little more than that. But I would probably okay. start at a thousand pounds, and I, I would also consider if you're going to do elemental sulfur, maybe putting some lime in that spot too. If you can get some calcitic lime. So I want to I want to get some calcium out there. So this is what we typically will tell people who who don't have gypsum available: use lime plus use elemental sulfur. Okay, that's what I'll do. That's easy to get hold of. That that's what I'm doing today: is spreading lime. All right. Well, good luck and let hey uh, right, keep keep you. us up to date on this. Uh, you know, after a year or two years or you know just how if you're seeing any progress or how things are coming here, Clint. Okay. Thank you. You bet. Appreciate it. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Bye. Yeah, it's just, it's very frustrating when you have to deal with some of these spots. And a lot of people just say, ah, I don't care, whatever. It's no big deal. It's two, three acres. And I get that. And you you don't have to do anything with it. But it, it really is nice. And it does make you feel a lot better when you, you get it corrected. And, and I know 10 or 15 years seems like a long time. But in farming, it's not that long. It's not that many crops. So I just encourage you, things can change. just takes a little work. All right, stay tuned. We'll get to your questions coming up next. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriophol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year. 
January 10th and 11th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the two most important days you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. When it comes to protecting your field from disease and environmental stress, there's Revitech fungicide. <laughs> and there's everything else. When it comes to unparalleled power, there's Revitech and everything else. And when it comes to speed and stamina, this is Revitech. And this is everything else. Nothing else comes close to Revitech fungicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, and we've reached the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. This one in from Greg. He said, do you know the best way to get rid of rush skeleton weed, otherwise known as devil's grass? Yeah, that's a tough one. It's a perennial. It has a taproot that gets... Uh, as deep as seven feet that people have documented starts out as a rosette be a nice time to try to get it we usually see that one in pasture and rangeland can make it out into cropland but but less uh, less common to see that the problem with it is it can reproduce from seed root fragments which means tillage is not the best uh, or shoot buds so you've got to get a get your work cut out for you no doubt if you're tilling it or hand weeding it uh, I just reading up on this one a little bit about how long does it take if you're not going to use herbicides? Uh, they say it's going to take you three times a year doing it for five to 10 years. That sounds like a lot of work. And I don't know if you're going to get that done or not. If you do, great. Kudos. Uh, I know there are biological control agents out there um, that include, you're going to like this one, Brian, a certain type of gall midge that we talk about how it's destroying our soybean yields. Uh, gall mite or even a rust fungus. So you can look into some of those biological control methods if you want. Or uh, if you can use Tordon, that's by far the best. So using Tordon at a strong rate in areas that are going to stay pasture, not around water and not around trees, and that would be about as good as anything. Otherwise, Milestone and Stinger and 240 or other products that can help. I would choose the Milestone or Stinger, I guess, if you didn't want to go with the Tordon. Uh, but those have got some some residual to get down in that root system, too. So, yeah, skeleton weed, tough weed, you can give those products a shot. Thanks for the question, Greg. We appreciate that. Uh, I got one that came in uh, online here, too, Brian. Let me pull that one up. 
Uh, this one came in from Kevin. He said, all right, guys, I've got a soil pH of 5.4. I got a few numbers for you if you want to jot these yep, numbers. I got Soil it. pH five yep. four. Yep. Buffer pH six seven, and a CEC of eight point three. Now normally we'd use buffer pH to apply lime to try to get to a target pH of six point two. Okay. Uh, and uh, very conservative lime application, just using CEC to get uh, recommendations here. But I know you guys talk about this a lot. We we are wondering if we've still got some lime that's reacting and increasing pH over time. We haven't put anything out there for three years, but our average pH is still increasing, although not uniformly at all. Uh, just wondering, would this impact buffer pH as well? Or would buffer pH still stay the same? Or why would we have lime reacting that long? Okay, so nope, has nothing to do with the buffer pH. The buffer pH simply tells you how easy it is to change your pH. The higher the number, the easier it is. And quite frankly, you don't even necessarily need buffer pH, but the reason why we have it is so you can get more, you can fine-tune your lime recommendation just a little bit more. The biggest thing we're typically looking at and the main factor for buffer pH is the cation exchange capacity. So as soon as you said it's a 6.7 buffer pH, or some people refer to it as buffer index, as soon as you said 6.7, I'm like, oh, he's got light soil. And sure enough, the very next number Darren read off was 8.3 CEC. So we used to think on the farm growing up that light soil was bad. But I'll tell you what, if you have irrigation, light soil's amazing because it doesn't take much of anything and you can change your soil. So if I have a 5.4 pH, I got to put tons of lime on. For you with a 5.4 pH, you might need a ton, ton and a half. I, I mean, I don't know off the top of my head. I haven't looked at the numbers, but I, I just know it's a lot less than I would need in our 20 to 30 cation exchange capacity ground. So in terms of your lime still reacting, if it's been three years, I'd call, I'd call it. I'd say, uh, yeah, I'm not there. And even if it was still reacting, 5.4 is too low. And even if, because what's it going to go up to? 5.5, five, 5.6, five, five, still too low. So you definitely want to get that pH up from where it's at. Did he say what crop he's raising? No. Okay, because that's going to make a difference in the importance of it. So on our farm, by the way, our data in the last five years has not shown that having a little bit low pH has hurt our soybean yields, but it's crushed our corn yields, and it would be completely devastating for alfalfa. So here's where I'm going with this. If you said, okay, I'm going to raise soybeans next year, I'd say, yeah, the lime's important. If you said, I'm going to raise corn next year, I'd say lime is super important. And if you said, I'm going to raise alfalfa next year, I'd probably tell you don't because your pH is just flat out not high enough today to raise alfalfa and have it be a profitable crop for you. So the degree definitely changes with the crop. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, I get this one that came in from Scott, and he said, On corn on corn, people are applying extra nitrogen to help with corn stock breakdown. Yes. Why don't we do the same thing out in soybeans when we've got heavy soybean residue? Would the stocks steal nitrogen? Wouldn't the stocks steal the N from the bean plant? Wouldn't the stocks steal N from the bean that's, plant? That's, I'm just reading it word oh, for word. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so this is turned around. Uh, turned around. So in other words, it's on corn stalks going to beans, he's asking. Maybe I misunderstood the question. Is he saying it's corn stalks going to beans and why don't we right, use the nitrogen? Right. Now I understand. Uh, why don't we? Well, we could. It's just that for 
the nitrogen needs for the soybean plant, they're going to come, they, they have a massive need once we get a little bit later in the season. The need real early on is less. And so the hope a lot of times is that by the time you get to mid-season, a lot of the corn stalks have broken down because of whatever nitrogen there was in the soil to feed the bacteria in the meantime. So could it possibly help? Yes, it could, especially in situations where you have light soil, uh, low organic matter soil, soil that had been flooded, all the situations where you don't have lots of microbes going already. You want to give them every possible advantage, number one, turning that carbon to nitrogen ratio and breaking down the stocks. And then the other thing is having more nitrogen available just flat out is going to be beneficial in those soils because you aren't going to have as many rhizobia bacteria. Because again, it's light soil or low organic matter or uh, ground that was flooded or let's say it's even ground that's pH that's bad like 9 or 5 or whatever the bacteria just aren't going to do as well so in all those situations I do think it would probably be a good idea but in a normal situation if a person has like we do we've built up the soil we have high organic matter fairly heavy soil not flooding it's all tiled it's like I we've tried stuff and it doesn't really pay in those situations usually but no I get it I mean, you've got the right thought. It's just the needs for soybeans are different, and they come pretty late in the season for nitrogen. All right. Thanks for the question. Got a couple of turkey litter uh, sample analysis here from Nathan, and he said, all right, uh, I'm wondering about uh, putting this turkey litter on soils with a pH of anywhere from 5.8 up to 7 uh, just wondering about if you see any toxicity there, if you're worried about nitrogen tie-up with any wood chips that may be in there, and also nitrogen effect uh, following a crop of soybeans. Okay, well, I don't have any information in here on wood chips unless I'm missing something. I don't see anything on, on they're, here they're, how much They, they use that chips. for bedding, so there may be some wood chips in there. Yeah, okay, so we do know with wood chips they have a tendency to tie up nitrogen. Now, there is a fair amount of nitrogen in this, and it varies because the one test, for example, says on a dry basis per pounds per ton it's 60 and on the other one it's 80 so i i mean they're they're anyway that that that's a lot of difference um but still that hopefully is going to overcome what you have for the wood chips in there but i don't know that for a fact because i don't know what percentage of wood chips are in there uh, beyond that, let's see, it's got phosphorus, potassium, sulfur is okay, little magnesium, fair amount of calcium, that's good. Uh, there's some sodium, but it's only 10 pounds per ton, no big deal. Iron, um, there is a little bit of aluminum. I'm not that concerned about it as long as you keep the pH up, but you've got, when you have pH down into the, you said as low as 5.8, that's starting to be a concern, not a real big deal though at 5.8, you usually have to be down clear into the fours before aluminum toxicity becomes a big issue, and this is a tiny amount of aluminum anyway. Uh, there's a little manganese, a little copper, a little zinc, a little boron, so not going to hurt anything, so I don't see anything that's alarming out of these samples in particular. All right. Thanks. Thanks for the questions there. Really appreciate that. Uh, get this one from MM. How do you guys get nitrogen down into the soil? Well, you can inject it directly as you're applying it. Or That's a good water way will it. move it down. Yeah. Or, or rain can move it down. Or you could do some tillage if you had the nitrogen on top of the, of the soil. A lot of times if folks are worried about getting it down in the soil, you're worried about volatility. Uh, you could use a nitrogen stabilizer or you could just inject it to begin with. Hey, thanks, M.M. Really appreciate the question. Thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday 
for more Ag PhD Radio.